You're a retired spy living on a pension in a quiet town in the south of England. Well, you're not really your everyday run-of-the-mill spy. You're actually a one-time double agent, a Russian military intelligence officer who passed secrets to the British and then gets caught by the Russians. You're convicted of espionage in a Russian courtroom and you get thrown in jail, only to be released in a spy swap straight out of a Cold War saga. That was eight years ago, and it seemed your cloak and dagger life was long behind you. Then one Sunday afternoon, you go for a leisurely walk by your house, down a covered alleyway past the bubbling stream, and not long after, you and your daughter are found slumped on a park bench in a catatonic state. And within a few days, the police discover you were poisoned by a nerve agent. What happened to the ex-Russian spy, Sergei Skripal, and why? We'll talk to one of the U.S. government's foremost experts on the subject, the former CIA spy in Russia who arranged the spy swap that freed Skripal on this week's episode of Skullduggery. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia no is a ruse. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. Well, Dan, this is quite a sensational crime story going on in the UK right now with all sorts of geopolitical uh, ramifications for Russia, Putin, um, and the West. But, and we're going to get to that. We've got a lot to say about it. But before that, the circus in Washington. It just not only doesn't stop, it gets wilder and more surreal by the day. It, it truly does. And, you know, um, it. I, I think it has a tendency to kind of distract us from the big picture. Although sometimes it's hard to know whether some of these kind of more surreal episodes are actually important. And case in point would be the strange story of Sam Nunberg. Right. Uh, a guy who was kind of on again, off again in the Trump campaign, uh, on the periphery, very close to Roger Stone. Um, and we're going to be talking about Roger Stone later with uh, one of his former pals, Randy Credico, um, who has described himself as Stone's fall guy on the whole uh, Assange deal. We'll get to that. Um, anyway, back to Nunberg, who... Um, then announces that he's not going to cooperate with uh, Robert Mueller in the Russia investigation after getting subpoenaed for his emails and text messages. Um, he goes on this media blitz, like, tells the world, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to tell Mueller to screw you. Um, it was totally crazy. It, he's saying, I hate Trump. Roger Stone hates me. Yeah. Mueller's terrible. I'm never going to cooperate. Um the you know people are openly speculating that he's drunk 
um, or off his meds. Uh, I think Aaron Burnett on CNN actually said, I can smell liquor on your breath. She leaned in and said, I can smell liquor. He denied Um, it, by the way. He denied it. And he said um, all he's done is taken his antidepressants as as prescribed. Right, right. Okay. And then another story we've been following on Skullduggery got uh, wilder this week. Stormy Daniels, who filed a lawsuit against Donald Trump, um, saying that he didn't sign this uh, crazy hush agreement that Michael Cohen had arranged um, to pay off Stormy Daniels $130,000 to keep quiet during the election. What is really interesting about that, remember when we did the episode a few weeks ago about Stormy Daniels, the key was, was this a violation of campaign finance laws? Because that payment Closing days of the campaign, if it was for the purpose of keeping her silent to uh, boost Trump's uh, election chances to make sure she didn't interrupt with that, then um, it was a campaign um, expenditure and that the, had to right, be publicly the, reported. And the FEC lawyer, longtime FEC lawyer that we interviewed, said that that would be the trigger. That was right. the threshold uh, as to whether there would be a, you know, a kind of robust investigation. And I wonder, um, you know, certainly the FEC uh, you know, will, will look into all of that, but at some point the Justice Department may also. And if this lawsuit is filed and makes these claims um, and there's some evidence behind it, you could have a Justice Department investigation as well. Well, I think we'll all be um, what, looking what, forward what, to St- Stormy Daniels on the witness stand. One, one uh, other thing about that story, which is yeah. um, uh, the – the the way that um, Trump fought back through his lawyer uh, Michael Cohen um, was to go and uh, the, you know and get a restraining order against her in some like secret arbitration that I think we only really knew about because Sarah Sanders the spokesman actually mentioned it um, yeah. at you know the the, the press briefing. <laughs> Actual information from Sarah Sanders, which I'm sure Although, she regretted as soon as she had said yeah, it. And, and yeah, and CNN later reported that Trump was not happy that yes, she actually yes, raised that at the briefing. Yes, so, yes. All right. Well, we're going to get to all that. Um, uh, but let's start out with this really bizarre story uh, out of uh, the UK because um, – this has all sorts of strange connections. This guy, Skirpel, the former Russian spy double agent, um, was returned in a spy swap. The swap was with the illegals who we just talked about in Buried Treasure, Those that network of Russian spies who were uh, caught by the FBI in the United States in 2010. The, the story that inspired... Uh, that great hit series, uh, The Americans. Right. And right. you got to wonder, Mike, did, you know, what a strange coincidence that this would happen just days after we recorded, but had not yet published another uh, another uh, another b- buried little, treasure that's right so did the russians hack in to uh skullduggery uh, here's another little uh clue in the new york times story on this uh just uh, the other day uh describing sir uh Skirpal's walk that sunday afternoon um uh this most brief and benign of walks may have been the setting for an attempted assassination reminiscent reminiscent of the most far-fetched cold war Skullduggery. They used the word skullduggery. They did. This, this is, is this life is a, imitating podcasts. It, yes. Right. It, it's also just another example of you, Isakoff, mm-hmm. somehow finding your way into the middle of 
the big story. Well, that is... Not just by reporting. That's what you pay me for, sir. Um, anyway, we are going to be talking, uh, and I believe we have Daniel Hoffman, former CIA officer in Moscow, who has a lot to say on this subject. Dan Hoffman, um, welcome to Skullduggery. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, so, look, this is truly a bizarre story out of the UK involving uh, Sergei uh, Skripal. And um, I know you were uh, you were stationed in Moscow for the CIA. Uh, you were there at um, at the time of the Russian illegals operation, the uh, Russian spies that got arrested by the FBI in the United States, and then were swapped. This was a swap that you helped arrange, and it was that's how uh, Sergei Skripal got freed from a Russian prison. Now he is in a hospital suffering from what the Brits say is a poisoning by nerve agent. What do you make of what happened to him? Well, there's two issues here, I think, that uh, we ought to think about. One is, is motive, and the other is the means. So it looks like someone used a nerve agent uh, to target him. A nerve agent could be inhaled. It could be absorbed. It's not so difficult to carry it over international borders. It's certainly plausible that uh, a Russian um, might have traveled from some other location to the U.K. and delivered the nerve agent um, to Skripal uh, in Salisbury. Um, the motive is what's particularly interesting to me. And there's a historical precedent here, going back all the way to when Stalin um, killed Trotsky. I mean, remember that Stalin put an axe through Trotsky's head in Mexico, and that was really a message to Stalin's own people that he could reach out and touch anyone uh, whom he considered a threat to his uh, regime security. And, you know, Vladimir Putin has now been in power longer than any uh, Soviet Russian official since Stalin. And, you know, the most important influence on Putin's career, uh, the KGB writ large, but Andropov was his mentor. And so Vladimir Putin is, is a guy who's carrying on some of those same means of dealing with his own people. Um, remember the so, Litvinenko so case. Yeah, yeah, so just to be clear, you believe this poisoning was ordered by Putin? So I think we don't have any confirmation, but here's why I think you could certainly make a plausible case that it was. Similar to so many other things, which Vladimir Putin does, you, you probably won't be able to prove this in a court of law, uh, but there'll be enough evidence to point in the direction of the Kremlin, like, for example, with Litvinenko or Boris Berezovsky or Boris Nemtsov. Uh, all three of those guys were killed. And, you know, with Litvinenko, there's a little bit more evidence that it was Russians involved, Luka Voy and Kotvin, um, using polonium. Uh, but, you know, um, at the end of the day, there wasn't enough to con convict those guys. And that's well, they, the those, guys were, they, those guys fled to Russia. They never came back. They weren't going to be returned to the U.K. So it was never a question of whether you could try them or not. Um, they were being Absolutely. protected by Putin. Um, Absolutely. And I think in this case, um, there's a lot of uh, of work to be done to put the facts together. And I know the British are, police, is, they're doing that. They've got some CCTV coverage and they're going to have to go back and try to recreate what happened apparently at this pizza restaurant, which Paul had visited. But again, in my mind, when you think about the people who might have had a motive to, to, to hurt him, it, it certainly 
there's an under, in my mind at least, it's certainly quite possible that it was, and most likely that it was Vladimir Putin's, um, Vladimir Putin and and Putin, on Putin's orders that that the uh, that the attack took place. And this is this Dan, is this a a message to uh, Putin's external enemies, or is it also a message to people he perceives to be enemies uh, uh, domestically? Can you just flesh that out a little bit for us? So let's. Let's all remember that Vladimir Putin is is going to uh, be reelected, and I use that term loosely. It's more like a coronation on March 18, uh, and so maybe this attack on Skripal has something to do with the fact that the election is two weeks away, and Vladimir Putin wants to deliver a message first and foremost to his own security services, um, on whom he relies. You know, Russia is really a spy military state, a kleptocracy, and. It's those services, the FSB, the GRU, and the uh, SVR, that enable Putin to stay in power. Uh, remember in 2010, during that spy swap, Putin said, quote, traitors always end badly, unquote. I think he had his mind set that he was going to get some revenge on the guys who got out during that spy swap. And so first and foremost, the message is to his own services, don't cross me or else this is how you end up. Uh, and I expect 100% loyalty from you, especially when the protests start. Uh, and they will on March 18 uh, during the election. But why? Why now? Uh, this is eight. You know, he got freed eight years ago. He's living quietly in the UK. Um, what would be? What would be the reason to go after this guy years after the Russians themselves released him? Yeah. Well, they they didn't release him on their own volition. Remember, of course, as you as you highlighted, it was a swap. Uh, and Putin uh, welcomed his own uh, people, the illegals. And remember, that was Vladimir Putin's own training in, as an illegal support officer when he served in Germany. He welcomed his own people back uh, with open arms and feted them, uh, but always considered the four who got out to be traitors to the motherland. And so your question is is a good one. Why now? Um, does it reflect some some bit of weakness on Putin's part that he's a little bit nervous heading into the election and he wants to do this? One other element that could benefit him is he's going to spark some rage, justifiable rage in the West. And Vladimir Putin likes that. He likes to have that antipathy with Western democracies because he conflates that with our ideals of liberty and freedom of demo and democracy, which is that's really what represents an existential threat to Vladimir Putin. It, what scares him the most is democracy. Is and there... so he raises the level of, of, um, of animosity between our nations, the West and, the Ru and Russia. I think that serves his purpose as well, especially leading up to the election. Is there anything we know about Skripal's uh, activities in the UK uh, in recent years that might have brought him back onto Putin's radar screen or anybody else who might have uh, uh, a motive for going after him like sure, this. And, and, and of course, you can't rule out that something else caused this guy to be targeted this way. But it just the means appear to indicate that it was a state actor like Russia. Can just you, like the BX attack in Malaysia against Kim Jong-un's brother, path brother, same thing, state-sponsored attack. Now there, but there, there have been, I mean, there was the, the sarin attack uh, in... Uh, and Tokyo. the Tokyo subway, yep, that wasn't, so, so yeah, so that, but that wasn't state sponsored, right? That's, that's an exception to the rule. So there yeah, have been I, times. But I mean, that was a terrorist attack designed to kill a lot of people in public transportation. This was targeted against one guy and his daughter. And 
you know, what he the British British intelligence, British police will look at who else might have had a motive and probably rule out everything but uh, the Russian government um, is my guess. As far as what he would have been doing the last eight years or anything that he would have done to to risk causing Putin's ire uh, or drawing Putin's interest in him. I mean, there's there's been some speculation. You know, remember that the, the GRU has been hacking into everybody from Georgia in 2008 to the United States during our election. Uh, you know, I, I don't. Skripal has been gone from that service. You know, he was arrested in, in, a long time ago in 2006. Um, I just can't imagine that he would have had anything to do with anything that mattered to Russia. I just think that Vladimir Putin saw him as, as a pawn he could use. That would be my guess if if my theory is right that, that Russia was involved. Hey, Dan, is there a precedent for um, uh, for a, uh, a regime killing uh, a, uh, a spy that they've uh, released in, a, in one of these uh, swaps? Because it seems, it seems like it would, could have a devastating effect on those kinds of swaps in the, in the future if you know that after you, your guys are released, uh, they may be hunted down and murdered um, uh, by, the, by the country that you did the deal with. So the, the swaps are extraordinarily rare these days. Um, there was our spy swap in 2010. There, has, there was a spy swap between Estonia and Russia. Uh, the Estonians arrested a, a, a Russian uh, penetration of their internal service, their secret police. And then the Russians lured one of their officers from that same secret police into Russian territory, arrested him, and then they, 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 they uh, swapped. As far as I'm aware, there's never been any... Um, examples or any evidence of uh, of retribution post swap uh, and it certainly is you know disturbing uh, and you know first and foremost tragic for this guy and his family uh, but what it means in a broader sense I think is really important between the relationship between the UK and Russia uh, and what that means if the Russians are killing people on British territory, there's going to be repercussions there. So you expect a robust investigation by the Brits? Because in the past, uh, there's been criticism that the uh, that the UK has not uh, investigated these cases as aggressively as maybe they should should have. I think they did investigate Litvinenko, uh, but I also believe that they and they took minimal actions. They didn't sanction Russia. I think in this case there will be pressure again, because of Russia's interference in other countries' affairs using social media, networking sites, um, and espionage, I think that the, the mood is such that uh, in the UK they will consider all options, including sanctions. Maybe they don't show up for the World Cup. Um, you know, I think the first thing they'll do is collect the facts, and then they'll look at how to punish Russia. If there's one lesson that we've learned, but I don't think yet implemented, is that you've got to punish the Russian government if that's what you believe. Punish them how? What, what would you do? Well, let me just uh, add one point, which is that the Russians, I've been watching their, their media, the news, and reading the papers, and what they're saying is they don't know anything about this, and they're prepared to work with uh, the British government, of course, uh, because of this Russian citizen who was, who was um, targeted. Uh, so they're going to deny everything, and then they're going to demand to see the evidence, and there may not be enough evidence but to actually... back to my question, what, sure. what would be a res an appropriate response to a attempted state-sponsored assassination like this? I think there's an array of, of, of options. One is, if you believe it was Vladimir Putin, uh, and you believe it was, it was his security service, you could PNG uh, Russian diplomats, Russian spies. That's always been a tried and true method to get back at the Soviet Union or Russia for, ne for their nefarious activities. 
Seems kind of lame to me if that's the best well, you can do I mean, in response to an assassination. Your, your assumption is that this might not have occurred without some work from Russian intelligence inside the UK. And so you may want to, and I'm, I'm being wildly speculative here, but, but that's just what, that's one thing you can do. Uh, it does impact those services' ability to collect intelligence in the UK. You can certainly mount sanctions. You can consider not sending your team to the World Cup. That would have, you know, second-order effects on the British soccer team. Um, I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll consider options, but they, they need to collect the facts first and determine um, just how bad this is. Apparently, you know, 21 people, according to the press, uh, the UK press have been treated following the Skripal's poisoning. So this isn't just him. I mean, this is a pretty serious issue. Including for, a police officer, I think. Who, you know, who right, there. the police yeah. officer for sure. And now, you know, another 19, 18 people on top of the police officer, Skripal and his daughter, Yulia. So it's, it's um, I think we need to just kind of wait and see how this shakes out and then expect uh, the Brits to respond accordingly. And I do believe that they need to be pretty robust about uh, considering options, yeah. Well, Dan, I know you've got certain restrictions on what you can say at this point uh, from your former employers about uh, about the role you played in all this. I'm, I'm hoping you'll be uh, have a little more liberty uh, uh, to speak out soon because this is an important story. Uh, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery, and I hope you'll come back. My pleasure. It's a real, it's a real honor to be, uh, to be chatting with you, and I wish you all the best. Thanks for being here. It's fascinating. We'll be back after this quick break. And now for something completely different. Um, it's about we've time. Got, uh, yes, we've got an esteemed guest, uh, Randy Credico, a New York radio show host and comic who uh, has a very uh, unique role in the entire Mueller Russia investigation. Uh, Randy, thanks for joining us on Skullduggery. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to clear my name. <laughs> Thank you. It's a thrill to be here. Yeah. We've had some uh, interesting chats. And let's start All with right. Sam Nunberg. I right. mean, you, you know him, right? I, I, you know, I run across a guy because I've been around Stone back and forth. For the last 15 years, I met Roger him in Stone. 2002, yeah. but there was a long period of time where we didn't talk. In fact, that whole year, 2016, he had me blocked on Twitter, okay? We had no DMs. Who? There was no, nothing. I hope they find something. Right, who are we talking about? Stone? Roger Stone and I. All right, but I'm right. asking you right now what? about Sam Number. Oh, Sam Number. No, I know, I've run across the guy before. All right. He's a Roger Stone acolyte. Right. What a great credential. Okay, now he this week said, confirmed, he'd been subpoenaed by Robert Mueller for all his emails, text messages. First said he's not going to comply. He's just going to tell Mueller to go take a hike. Uh, he did this bizarre media blitz. Um, and then he caved. So what's going on? And Numberg says this is all about trying to get your buddy Roger Stone. Yes. Well, maybe that's true. I think maybe Stone is going to be in the crosshairs soon. I don't know exactly on what. All right. You're going to have to figure that out. But uh, obviously he's a Stone file and he's upset. And of course, just like he acts like a Stone, uh, Roger Stone, by saying he's not going to testify and then he folds, all right? Same thing Roger Stone did when he went before the committee and said, I can't give you anyone's name. And, of course, right. 
even before the subpoena, he gave a he name. Gives he gives fo- your he name. He gives yeah. my name. So both of these guys fold like, as I've like said cheap before. Suits. Cheap suits. Say, I, I'm glad you said that because that expression came up upstairs. We were talking about this, and right. someone said, do cheap suits like fold more neatly and what's the like what and apparently it's because they have no lining right well Did roger you know wears very expensive suits so so he do, he's he, not he, likely he, to no fold. he's no but he's he not folds. like a cheap suit yes all right. all right let's let's stick to the evidence here okay right. so so stone as is well known in um on august 8th gives a talk in florida to a republican group and says there's going to be an october surprise from julian assange and he knows this because i actually have communicated with Assange. I believe the next tranche of his documents pertain to the Clinton Foundation, but there's no telling what the October surprise may be. He continues to make allusions to some big uh, October surprise, big dump coming from Assange. uh, And then um, when he has to testify before the House Intelligence Committee, he tells them he confirmed this by asking a journalist who I knew had interviewed Assange to independently confirm this report, and he subsequently did. This journalist assured me that WikiLeaks would release this information in October, and he continued to assure me of this throughout the balance of August and all of September. Stone has now said, that's you, Randy Credico. You're the guy. I'm the guy that did it. Uh, So it goes back to August 8th. August 8th, when he says he has communicated directly with Assange. But he, he keeps de- downgrading that connection with Assange uh, to having a back channel and then the back channel being a confirmer, a guy that confirms material to him. Now, what okay. date? You're talking about July 12th. You'll just have to look at the evidence. June 12th. No, June August, 12th. August. He says August 8th. Yeah. But in his testimony, he yeah. says that. Mr. Credico confirmed some dates prior to that when I wasn't communicating with Stone and had not met Assange until okay. this you, last did, year. I know. All right. Okay, wait a second. That is a definite that's proven that I did not meet him until one year after the election. He had done my radio show twice, but never had any well, other. But, but it, you hadn't met him, you, but you had communicated show. with him. On my radio show. That's it. And there was a person. Well, was there emails? We have, we, did we, you email him? No, did you call no, no. him, talk to him on the phone? He's, no, he's seen the emails. He knows that I had emails with a guy by the name of J.D. That right. We don't know. That's a pseudonym. Right. Uh, saying, asking me if he could do my show August 25th. All right. So just okay. uh, so August 25th is when you interview Assange, Assange for the, for the first, first time on your radio yes. show. Did you confirm to Roger Stone that Julian Assange had documents he was about to release about Hillary Clinton? No. So I no, I don't is that what he's saying? Well, no. The, well, that's what Roger Stone testified right. to that right. a journalist who he has now identified was you was the guy who confirmed to him on and, on the stuff on confirmed to him when Ju- no, no, June twelfth June saying, fourteenth it's not, it's not true it's not true right. okay. why, why would he why would why I would he identify that? you why well, would he identify well, why would he, me because you, yeah. listen let's make it like very clear Roger Stone is a showboater he insinuated himself into this picture 
uh, last year. He wasn't on Trump's payroll. A lot of people are speculating. It Was he really like working with Trump? That is a false lead in a dark alley that's going to get into a, a wreck because it's going to go nowhere. I can tell you for sure that Roger Stone had no communication other than that communication that came out in the Atlantic with WikiLeaks saying, okay, uh, why are you, why, this is Roger first, saying stop castigating them for denying that they were connected to him. And that goes to August 26th. They denied, or 16th. They said, stop saying this, Roger. And WikiLeaks, that was one of their tweets. And so Roger got furious about this. He got furious and uh, he says, well, you know, uh, you guys leak like a sieve. And they said, well, if you don't want us to attack you then and correct you, then stop saying it. So Roger, like I said, insinuated himself into the story, got a lot of publicity, a lot of speculation. And then I asked him in September, who is your back channel? Who you is asked your back channel? I asked Stone. <laughs> who September, is your back channel? Yes. September of what, when? 2016. This? I asked him who his back channel was. Yeah. Right? He's don't worry about it. Back channel, because he got me a guest on my show, Gary Johnson, which was a big flop because it was a day after he couldn't, he didn't know what Aleppo was. So I had him on my show. And Roger says, Can you get Assange on my show as a quid pro the, quo? The libertarian candidate for president, right, Gary right. Johnson. So, right, okay. Yes, he got hammered right. by Barnacle. So, no, I'm talking about the uh, – so Roger asked me to get him Assange as a quid pro quo. Well, it really wasn't a quid pro quo. Much more to get Assange. And I said, I'll see what I can do. And I never did. That's why I, I never did reach out because I know the guy would say no. Roger's radioactive. Why would you want to be communicating with him? But, he's, but you guys are friends, right? I mean you guys – On again, off again. That he's a, Look, we both smoke cigars, or I, I used to. We both drank uh, Stoli's martinis. That's the Russian connection. And we both like Al Jolson. I grew up with him, and Roger's like the head of – that's it. And All right? also, you've got some some – even though you're kind of politically strange bedfellows, you're a – Lefty, yes. he's a uh, you know right wing. He plays a right winger. Yeah, but there's actually there's some overlap in some areas, yes, right? Like yes. what? Like okay, well, I worked on a few campaigns from 2002 with with uh, uh, Galasano. Galasano campaign. He ran it, and Galasano spent 84 million dollars. He had the same crew of uh, weird characters: Mike Caputo, all of those guys, uh, and then like. Five years later, he gets caught calling up Elliot Spitzer at 5 o'clock in the morning, leaving this nasty e – his father, 5 o'clock in the morning, and when he got caught – This is Stone. This is Stone. He gets caught leaving – because he was running the, the state Republicans for Joe Bruno's uh, f finance committee for the Senate, re-election committee. And so Bruno fired him, and he tried to get out of it by saying – I did it, that I imitated him, that I spoofed the number. Because you are pretty good. I'm a good impressionist, but yeah. why would I ever want to do Roger Stone? You know, I've done you before. Max Blumenthal does a great impression of you. <laughs> really? Yes. That, that, a lot not, of people I, do your I, voice. I, I, you got I a great voice not, to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, wait a I'm second. I, I, I want to just yeah. follow this yes. up quickly because there are also issues like pot legalization, yes. right? right. So right. I've always wondered, you come at it from the left – he comes at it from the right. He's a you know, pothead. It, he's, okay, that's what – is it just libertarian or or is he a pothead? He's a pothead. I mean, I think he admits to being a pothead. He likes pot. He smokes pot. You know, he went to the Yippie Museum uh, back in 2009 trying to buy pot there. So every, that's every, out there. That's been out there. So I'm not, you know, I'm not outing him. We're not breaking a, that. A, there's a redeeming quality to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. but look um, – uh, yeah, you know, basically, you, you're quoted in this new book, Russian Roulette, as right. saying uh, – yeah, 
you're Stone's fall guy. He's got you as the fall guy. Yeah, just like, what's his name? We need a fall guy. We got someone we can blame these three victims on. <laughs> three, but I thought there was only two, Mr. Spade. All right, only two then. Let's All give right. them two, but... We're the treasure of Sierra Madre. <laughs> no, that's yeah. Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon. Oh, I'm sorry. Certainly, oh, Mr. God. Spade, you can't expect us yeah, 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 at this yeah. late date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but isn't right, the cane... Let's give them to the council. Isn't yeah. the cane mutiny the one that's most relevant now, given yes. Trump's sort yes. of bizarre is, behavior it in is. the White House? Uh, the Russia gate was not imaginary. And I don't know anything about mesh boys eating strawberries. And there's no need for that. I know exactly what he's going to tell you. Lies, lies, lies. These guys are all liars. Wait, I thought you were going into Nixon with that. I was going to go into Nixon, but that would be a David Fry uh, album that he did. Uh, the Democrats were against me. Uh, that goes way back. Nixon going into, uh, well, before Nixon. There was Hubert A. Humphrey was the first voice, and he went against Nixon. After that, it was Gerald Ford, who I could never do, could guess until it was thrown into the show. And then it was Jim McCarta, who you liked, the rescue team knew. And I knew that the operation was certainly be difficult and certainly be dangerous. All right, remember that one. And then, of course, uh, the Gip. You got him in there, and there was nothing easier to do than Ronald Reagan, except for George Bush. <laughs> never have so few <laughs> killed so many for so few who have so much. <laughs> and then, of course, the guy that you went after in 98, 99, when yeah, uh, he yeah, shouldn't yeah. have done that because yeah. Fidel Castro was down there in, um, in uh, where was it? He was in. Uh, he was there with the Pope, and your story came out the same yeah, day. Yeah. Why did you knock him off? Yeah. And you knocked me off with that story. Right. And then, of course, George Bush, God bless for fighting cicadas. America is at <laughs> war with cicadas. <laughs> All right. Can I, I, who else can right. do that no, on no, this no, show? No, no, no. You, you, you are know, the first. Liven it up here a little you, bit. You have, you have definitely livened up. I mean, you want to hear the Rudy Giuliani impression? Or oh, would you rather hear the Bernie Sanders one? Let's talk about economic issues. <laughs> Why don't we talk about that? About We've lost economic... control of skullduggery, right. Mike. <laughs> it's been hijacked. <laughs> it's been hijacked by a fall guy. It's fun, though. All right. No, great. All right, last thing. Last thing. All right. So Julian Assange. No, your buddy, yes. Julian Assange. You communicated with him, I believe, just, uh, what, today? Yeah, we talk about it all the time, about, uh, what? you know, we have What did he tell you about going oh, on Oh, you're doing Issacoff show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell him, give him my best. No, huh? no. Now you're No, now you're no, but I, yes, what? I communicate with him. He's got a great sense of humor. That's what's yeah. great. That's why, look, I don't get... We don't agree on everything, all right? We agree. He's a did publisher. You, did you tell him you're going on this yes, show? Yes, I did. And what did he say? I'll show it to you later. I texted <laughs> him. now. I do a signal. Yeah, he yeah. says, it's a cop. You're doing his show. You can't <laughs> yes, he Profan knows I'm doing your show today. Profanity yeah. is I okay. let him know. Right. Profanity is okay on podcasts. So I, if he said something profane, you he can say, say it here. What the fuck? He didn't say that, <laughs> all right? That would right. be the other. Mark Maron's uh, show. All right. Right? So, yes, he knows that I'm doing your show. And, 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 and he listens to your show. Well, I'm, you know, listen, if I had nothing to do sitting around in the Ecuadorian embassy, I'd be listening <laughs> to a lot of podcasts as well. Yes. But, um, hey, but if you guys if he have is, got to meet each other. No, no, huh? I'd, I'd love we, to. We need we, to we, we, we'd like him on a guest. As a guest. Uh, you know, the Reverend Sharpton has asked me yeah. uh, to get an interview uh, uh, clearly yeah. with uh, Julian Assange. And yeah. I reached out. So I guess I am uh, Mr. Shopton's 
uh, uh, clearly his back channel because yeah. I did pass it on to Mr. Sanders. I think all this is a deflection because you're trying you to get us not to handle the truth. You're trying to get us not to ask the yes, key question ahead. here, key question? which yes. is: Have you been subpoenaed? Given all the, the connections you have, all the conversations with Roger Stone and Assange and everybody else, have you been subpoenaed by Mueller? I, do you expect to be subpoenaed I by do. Mueller? I do. I actually now think I'm going to be, uh, and uh, because. It looks like they're going after Stone. Stone is great red meat to throw out there. He may have gotten the dates juggled up here. And so if they're going after Stone, oh, listen, he worked with one of these Ukrainian candidates, too. You know, Stone is connected with one of these Ukrainian candidates. It's in there. I don't know which one, so he, but I, I have the this. only one. I'm the only one who has said no. Everybody else has testified but me. I got the, I got it, and I would not because, look. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You got a subpoena. I got a subpoena Mueller, from, the House from the House Intel Committee. And, 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 and basically, you, I you said took no. the fifth. I took the fifth. Yes, to give it some wait, intrigue. So you took the fifth. It's been great for my career. Look, I'm doing well, you your show. You got you on this show. Yes. Right? Imagine if I didn't do it. All right. Huh? Well, yeah, you'd be nobody. I just you'd can't get nobody. on Chuck Todd. Well, so where does that lead? So he can call me Credeco. If they, you know... If they immunize you, then you could go up there and do all these impersonations. That's what, that's 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 great. That's the great. I think that's the reason why Nunez uh, like uh, signed the subpoena because he knew that I would be a bowling ball to throw in there. Why? Let's 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 ruin this entire investigation. Let's bring in Credico. Right. What do you think? I listen. I think you'd be uh, you'd be a, a great witness. Yeah. Before the intelligence I know committee, everything televised I know everything. before the world. You know the truth yes. revealed from Randy Credico. You know the world will have to wait to hear from you before yes. the House Intelligence Committee. I'm waiting but for my close now, up, but Billy Wilder is going to have to shoot it. Right. But they have now heard you on skullduggery. Yes. So, wait, 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 wait. But no, if Mueller, one question. Oh, you, got, you got another question. But if you if you get a subpoena from Mueller, same thing. You take the fifth. I, you know what? We're considering if that happens, if it's like three months down the road and it's almost it's wrapping up and I just have to stay in jail for the remainder of the inquest, uh, then probably, yes, I would I'd have to flip a coin right now because I, I, I got to ask Susan McDougal how bad the conditions <laughs> are, you know, because the House yeah. committee can't do that to you. Yeah. Well, you know? That's a great reference for Skullduggery because we always go into the past to right. shed light on current scandals. Susan she, McDougal, years. key witness in the, white, in the Clinton Whitewater scandal. What about Judith Miller did like uh, six months, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. that's a different but, story. Right. She was protecting a source. Right. Right. Scooter Libby. Um, anyway, look, um, this has been great. Uh, this is just scene you, one with us. Yeah, no, We're you're going to come, come back. back. Some of the old things from Kane Mutant when he gets slapped by Jose Ferrer, <laughs> all right? Okay. Well, your people know that. Can they handle the truth like Nicholson in A Few Good Men? They can't handle the Roger Stone cold truth. Uh, uh, I'll tell you, what a how, crowd, all right? How, you've, how been a rough, you've been a tough crowd today. How are we going to wrap this up? I don't know. <laughs> just maybe. Let me do my. Just, just like forever. turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Stay tuned. There's a lot more with Dan, and there's a lot more on the show. Kelly, Kelly, here's this our producer. A, Kelly, well, what do we do? Just like, how, can you just pull the plug? <laughs> You do the Old Johnny like, Carson. That's enough. Randy Credico. Thank you very much. What, what did what did Todd call you? Credico? Credeco. They all a call Credeco. me Credeco like Randy someone Credeco. out of a Dostoevsky novel. All right? Thanks, Credeco. for joining us yes. on Skullduggery. That was great. Thanks to Daniel Hoffman and Randy Credico for joining us on Skullduggery this week. Skullduggery has a busy week next week. There will be a new buried treasure, and we'll have a special episode featuring Isakoff and his co-author David Korn, to discuss their new book, Russian Roulette, which comes out on Tuesday. 
In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, tell us what you think about Skullduggery. Leave us a review. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.